Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Thinking Fans FC Premier League podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. Today, I'm joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel, coach David Seymour, and professional footballer Dre Fortune. I'm host Chris Mumford. Bella Chow. We're sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a 300-page book for those mad about football, Moneyball for Soccer, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Over the coming weeks, we have we will be transitioning to Thinking Fan FC podcast platform as well as YouTube. Please subscribe. Match day 24 seems like we've hit an inflection point where we are deja vu all over again. Almost a super league within a league. Man City looks unbeatable, even without Aguero and KDB. Man United is perceived to be underperforming, even though it's in second place. Will Leicester have the staying power after beating up on the once mighty Liverpool? And Moyes has got West Ham as the I think I can locomotive and tops in London. Oh, darn it, Chelsea. We do a deep dive on the hopes, failings, and any potential resurrections. Gentlemen, we have to start the pod with the Leicester City-Liverpool game. David, what can we say about that game that hasn't already been said? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably not a, not a huge amount, to be honest with you, Chris. Just, I think for me, the, the, the big thing was really sort of 15 minutes from time or however long it was, I just didn't, I didn't see Leicester getting back in, back in or even in the game at that point. I mean, listen, they, they played well and they deserved to, to get something from the game, I think. But with Liverpool 1-0 up, I don't think there were too many people that saw Leicester getting into the game the way they did and then running away with it. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Dre, help me unpack that Firmino assist. Uh, I mean, you. I'm hopeful this season you're going to be spending a lot of time in the opposition box. But how do you get that Jedi Zenness to be able to do what Firmino did? Honestly, um, when you look at it, I think it was just natural for him. I think I think that's something that he probably does often, whether or not it be in training or just for fun, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, in the flow of the game, you, you don't even think about it. You just you know where your guy is, you know where the ball is, and you you have to get it to him. And I think he. I don't think he did. He obviously did it in a remarkable way, and we, we've all enjoyed the assist and, and the wonderful goal. And, and Salah's just almost nonchalant hitting into the far net there was just, it, it really, you know, there there's so many moments of this season. I think that'll probably be one of the top five moments that I'll remember for the season for what it is, even though it was a losing effort. I will tell you, I do have some existential angst because of that game in that I feel like Liverpool, if you look on paper, you look at the, the talent, you look at the players, and for whatever reason, you know, if we live in a simulation, then Liverpool's at the top of the table um, most of the time. But last year, Liverpool was able to win those 1-0 games, sometimes against some lower table folks, and just get out of there, right? And that just hasn't happened this year. While I was at Man City, for whatever reason, did they do a deal with the devil? I don't know, right? But they are they, they got away from it, even after such a sloppy start. So my existential angst is that sometimes things aren't supposed to happen the way they are, which I guess I could re- 
consider as, as a little depressing, or I could see it as that's what makes life so exciting. So we've definitely seen some mistakes creep in there, Chris. Don't you think like, uh, I feel, I still think Alison's one of the best keepers in the world, don't get me wrong, but I think that they look, they look almost human this season. And yeah. whether that's because they haven't got Van Dyke at the back, I'm sure that's a major, a major contributing factor, but, I don't recall, and I could be wrong, this could just be my memory failing, and if it is, I apologise, but I don't recall mistakes like the ones we've seen in the last couple of weeks, last season. No. Well, yeah. Dre, you about to say something? Well, no, I was just going to go off of that. I mean, I, I agree. I don't I don't recall any mistakes like the ones that we've seen. I mean, these are these are mental lapses. I mean, I, th- I thought last week, I thought he was just so, speaking of Allison specifically, I thought he was so casual last week. And, um, and, you know, his playing out the back, and I think it reflected. And then this week again, I mean, I don't know what happened on on the second goal there where, where he comes up for the ball. But, I mean, I don't know if maybe they I, – I highly doubt that they've gotten comfortable and decided, okay, like, you know, we, we've, we've done what we wanted to do. That There's no way that that's happened, not in this profession. But I'm not I, had a sure theory. I had a theory on that mistake. And it was – at the time, it was my initial reaction – um, I think I had the, the commentary off because I was really annoyed with whoever was commentating. But So I didn't really hear what they were saying. But my initial reaction was that actually it wasn't Alisson's fault, that I presume that a keeper of that stature had made a big call. And I don't know if this is the case or not, so this is just my theory. Made a big call to claim claim that and, and get rid of the ball and Quebec just got in the way. And if you look where Quebec was when he tried to kick it, the only way he was going to be able to kick it was to the side. Like he cramped him, and his technique was all off as a result. And I wonder if I wonder if Kabat didn't hear him call, or was just it was him potentially as a, a lapse in concentration. But I could I could be wrong. No, I mean I, I think I mean I, I definitely consider that too because I, I thought it was strange the way that it all played out. But then when I I mean I've just watched it back again as well. I, I think if if your keeper calls there, I feel like you you have some at least some kind of hesitation. Something he, he just it looks like everything he was doing was just a hundred percent. It didn't look like he like pulled up or, I mean, you can even see like he's still swinging his leg at the ball um, as, as they're coming together kind of. So I, I mean, yeah, I'd like to think Allison made a shout, but um, my guess would be that, it, that it would have been late, but then, then again, I mean, what he's, you know, 30, 30 yards outside of his goal or something like that. You know, that, that's why I put it on him because I, I don't know what he's doing so far out, but yeah, sure. Sure. That's a great point. Well, I think my take is uh, Klopp did say afterwards that he didn't hear Allison call for it, which okay. seems pretty. Uh, that's that's a kind of a big goalkeeper mistake there. Uh, someone is yeah okay. I didn't I didn't realize Klopp had said that. That's that's, that's and, not and great. It's possible that Klopp didn't hear it, but keep in mind there weren't a ton of fans either. So, you know, I just you know the, we talked about the weeks before misses is that. You know, Man City did a great job of shutting down all the passing lanes, and he's just not used to booting it out because he has a security blanket, and that security blanket is name is Van Dyke, right? And in that situation, I don't know if there's a miscommunication between Van Dyke and Allison, largely because if Van Dyke is on top of the ball, I don't know if Allison's going to go and try to lift that ball out. Maybe he was out there because he just didn't have the confidence as a new a new um, uh, center back. So, you know, I, I did find it interesting that Jordan Henderson was also um, accompanied there. But you think about it, uh, Allison had 10 chances in the last 
two weeks to make some uh, make a difference. And in three of them, he absolutely blew it. Incidentally, after that complete howler, he made a double save, which I will tell you, you know, if it weren't for that total screw up before that might be got down as one of the best saves of the season, the, the double save there. So it's just one of those things where as a keeper, you get 10 cards and it either. It's interesting that he managed to bounce back from that mistake because the, the game before, whenever it was, whenever it was that he made that mistake with the distribution, was that a week before, a game before? Yeah, against City, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was interesting to to note that as soon as he made the first mistake with his distribution, it, it's very rare at the highest level of sport, let alone in football, that you actually see a top performer's brain just go for a second. And I remember there was another sort of piece of distribution he was going to do thirty seconds later, which led to the goal or whatever. And you could you could see the doubt in his mind. You could see the lack of confidence and. To see that the, the top level is uh, like is a rare thing, but it was so visible. And I'll add to that as well. I think I think that showed itself in the Leicester game because I mean, after they scored, it seemed like it was almost like relief that you know we we've put the ball in the back of the net again, and then they just give up three. And I mean, three goals that I thought would have been very easily avoidable had they been you know locked in and, and laser focused as we've seen over the last season or so. Well, I mean, that's why to kind of get back to the existential angst, each team had 11 shots on goal. Uh, Liverpool had three shots on goal. Leicester had six. And XG, uh, Liverpool had 1.25 versus Leicester's 1.8. So in my mind, it's kind of a toss-up. And and part of that reason why Leicester's is so high is because Vardy was more or less gifted the ball at the, you know, at uh, in the middle of the pitch and took a shot from, you know, 10 yards out. So I, I just, I, it's hard to process. I will tell you, you know, the offsides uh, on that first goal uh, for, uh, for Lester. Um, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I do think that we kind of hit some boundaries in terms of, uh, technology. When was the ball actually struck versus where were, were the players? So it'll be interesting to see um, how little moments like that or just snippets. Just I do, I do think that with with VAR there needs to be a a clock or a timer. Yeah. And if 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 you can't overturn the decision in that time, then you just get on with it because we talk about the, like decision making those offsides there was um the way the west ham west ham had a penalty given which was overturned for an offside and um it took it took an age to make the decision but it, it seemed pretty obvious to me that it was offside and it was like okay fine just get on with the game but the referee went over had a look at it it just it's not what football's about it was a fast-paced game the ball goes out comes back in and it's just like right now the way var is run i know and i'm Please, a few coaches and players are starting to speak out and say that it's ruining the game. And I feel really strongly that it is, certainly in its current form. Yeah. Well, let's turn our attention to the new Goliath, uh, which is Man City. And they just made what seemed like really easy work of of Tottenham. Uh, you know, Man City had 15 shots that game versus Tottenham 7 uh, an XG of 3.35 versus 0.61. So I test numbers. Everything tells you that 
Man City is absolutely dominant. You know, last week I talked about the zombification of Tottenham and how a hobbit has been turned to Gollum, basically. And, um, you know, it is kind of what it is. Any, any impressions on, on the game, Dre? Yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this game. I thought it was just a complete performance for Manchester City. Um, they were just a better team outright. And, um, you know, Pep's always put them in, in a position tactically for them to, to succeed. And I think he's done that again. I mean, seeing Cancelo tuck into the middle of the field and, and help orchestrate for them uh, alongside, you know, Rodri and, and Gundogan, I think it's, it's working flawlessly for them. And they scored three, I mean, three goals that I, I really enjoyed, uh, particularly the last one. Um, feel, you know, a bit sorry for Davinson Sanchez there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think all in all, it's very simply put, Manchester City was just a better team on the day. And um, they have been for a majority of the season which I just like to add that I alluded to earlier in the year when they were lower in the ranks there, but uh, yeah, yeah. They, they complete performance. How, how does Gundogan, how does he like come almost come from the ashes or the shadows? And I know he had some injuries earlier on, but how does, how does he play into his mojo like that? Yeah. I mean, the, the goal scoring form is definitely new. I mean, since he's been at Manchester city, even before that uh, he's, you know, he established himself as a top midfielder in terms of, you know, retaining possession of the ball and, and breaking lines and stuff like that. But I think the new dimension that we're seeing now is the runs out of midfield that are really helping him get into those positions to score goals. And then, I mean, after that, you know, granted a couple of them have been tap-ins, maybe penalties here and there. He's Once you're putting yourself in those positions, I think, you know, that's when anything can happen. And that's really, I think that's the biggest difference right now for him. Harshel, what what's your take on Man City's ascension and Tottenham's demise? I mean, yeah, as Jay said, uh, City have looked like the best team in the league for a while now. I think um, the game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge where they beat them 3-0 was that sort of game where it clicked for them in the league for the first time, you know, and it all came together and they've really not let up since then. And they haven't let up, I mean, for a while. They're, they're on a record, club record uh, run of, wit- on, of wins in all competitions. Um Gundogan, obviously, I think with regard to Gundogan, um, he's had injury issues. He had COVID as well earlier this season, uh, earlier this year, I believe. And even other than that, he when he was coming through at Dortmund under Klopp, he was as as uh, as Jay said, he did sort of break lines and get forward, and he was also very good at re, uh, at uh, keeping possession. But he didn't have that goal scoring um, knack, or that or, uh, certainly not this form we're seeing right now. I think he scored what nine goals. In the last ten games or something like that, so and that's like that's that's the sort of return you expect from an Aguero, for example. So he's, I think, he's uh, there has definitely been a bit of a tactical change in that he's playing, he's he was playing as part of the double pivot with uh, Rodri early on in the season, but now it's Rodri who plays at the base of midfield and Cancelo joins him there more or less to form that sort of uh, shield against counterattacks, and that allows Gundogan to get forward a lot more. So I think that that change that Pep has made with Cancelo coming into midfield has actually liberated Gundogan to quite a great extent. And um, again, uh, going back to what they said, of course, some of them have been tap-ins, but you need to be in that place, in the right place, at the time the ball drops to, to score that tap-in, right? So that also tells you that he's been, that he's got some great movement and great anticipation to be to capitalize on that. And with regard to Spurs, I would say, I mean. You spoke about, uh, I mean, City having done a deal with the devil. I think it's Spurs who did a deal with the devil when they brought Mourinho in, in that 
I mean, obviously that he was expected to bring trophies to the club. They are in the League Cup final, obviously, but I don't think that's the sort of uh, trophy or that's the sort of uh, uh, place where they wanted to be competing under Mourinho. And it's it's not looking good for me with regard to. I mean, I, he'll see out the season, I guess, but. With Mourinho, it's it, it, the the deal is always that he'll get you the results, so you put up with the football. But at the moment, he's not getting the results either. So, who knows? At the end of the season, we we might just see a bit of a change as well. There. Any thoughts on Tottenham, David? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with Harshell there. I I I can see that obviously it's not working out for Spurs this year. I think first of the League Cup. I think trophies are trophies. If they want a League Cup, I do think that Levy would be thrilled, even if the fans. Are definitely not on board with uh, Jose. He's got two and a half years left in his contract. He'll be on a big contract. Spurs clearly do not have money at the moment to be thrown around. And I don't see them sacking him because of that. Yeah, apparently there's no break clause in that contract uh, I'd seen. So that, that, that would be an enormously expensive endeavor. Uh, and they probably could use some money shoring up some... Uh, some player uh, recruitment. Um, let's see. So let's turn our attention. Brighton Aston Villa, which I thought was going to be one of the most entertaining games of the week, ended up at nil nil. Uh, it's probably the curse of the the podcaster um, doing that. But uh, Emmy Martinez did have a season high nine saves um, to keep it super tight. Wolves um, did beat um, Southampton two two one. Um, so it seems like. Wolves might be writing themselves a bit, and Southampton continues to fall. Um, let's turn our attention to Man United, West Brom, 1-1. Harshal, I'm going to tee this one up for you. What, what's, what's your sense of where Man United is as underperformer, even though they're second in the league? I think that tells you, to be honest, that tells you how much Solskjaer has done with this squad because, I mean, Nobody, I mean, if you would have told United fans, just general fans of the Premier League, that Man United would be second in the league at with about 24, 25 games in, I mean, they anybody would have thought that that would have been a great performance from this United team because, of, yes, of course, they have brilliant individuals, but at no point in the last seven, eight years since Alex Ferguson has retired have they seriously challenged for the title. And, I mean... The fact that they second, yes, they are seven points behind City, and and City obviously have a game in hand as well. But it's it's a mark to of some of the work that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done. That you know that being in second is being considered a bit of an underachievement. But I mean, yes, obviously this game was disappointing, but it's also been a pattern with United where, and this is down to the fact, and this is what I something I strongly believe that it's because of the fact that United don't have specific coached patterns of play. It's a lot more individual. Uh, I mean, it's based a lot more on individual brilliance and and uh, sort of off-the-cuff expression in an attacking sense, which is where it can... I mean, on the days when it's not working, you don't have those patterns to fall back on. And that's where, you know, you can struggle to break down teams. And I mean, look at the goal that United scored. Obviously, it was a brilliant goal by Bruno Fernandes, but that's what it was. It was... It didn't come about from some sort of brilliant team move or a tactical instruction or something like that. It was just an individual moment of skill, right? So that's that's basically what United are. They're a very good bunch of individuals who can win you games. And they've done that throughout the season where they've come back from losing positions and won and drawn games. But it's not a coherent and consistent strategy 
if you want to win the league. And that's basically why United aren't title contenders. And always said as much in his post-match conference as well. Dre, what's what's your take? I mean, Man United second in the league. West Brom's on any given Sunday is 18th or 19th in the league. How is there such a big letdown on that? Do you buy into the patterns of play and just individual performances is, is what's kind of keeping Man United up so high? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely do buy into that. I mean, that's, I think when you look at, it's funny, I was actually thinking about this before we started the call. When you look at, at teams across the league, um, ideally you want for your team structure to help win you games. And by that, I mean, you implement tactics and you get players that fit into those tactics and then collectively, you know, they'll score goals, they'll defend whatever the case may be. The teams that end up on the top, the special teams, the Manchester cities, the Liverpools, whatever, they have that, but they have the individual brilliance that bails you out essentially. So in, in those games that it's nil, nil and, you know, 90th minute, you need a goal, somebody will produce something. So for example, you know, Firmino produces that wonderful assist we saw uh, against Leicester, unfortunately it didn't help them win. But I think that's where you speak about individual brilliance and how it makes a difference. And I think Harshaw is spot on when he talks about in this game, you know, Bruno Fernandez scores a great goal that most players probably aren't going to score. And, and it earns them a point. And to be honest, I mean, West Brom, as bad as we've seen them this year, you know, they, they had chances to go on and even score more goals and potentially win the game. So, um, yeah, I think it was a. It, it's obviously a letdown to to not get three points from that game, especially when you're in second place or or you know looking to be at the top of the table. But um, I don't know. I haven't been too confident in Manu throughout the season. I've I've maintained that. Uh, but yeah, when you have when you have the players like Bruno Fernandez and and Paul Pogba, uh, Rashford, all those guys, they're gonna they're gonna bail you out every once in a while. Interesting. So you're saying the system and patterns of play um, kind of smooths out things and then the individual performances can kind of get you over the top when that's not quite working rather than the other. I, I, yeah, I, I'd say so. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think. Interesting. So David, uh, the Arsenal leads game, I think we've learned that the way to really sharpen up Arsenal's ability is to just play against leads. Right. I mean, uh, it, it, if leads can make, Everton even ex- exciting to watch, um, then that's all it takes. I mean, what the heck was going on in the Arsenal-Leeds game? Yeah, yeah, crazy game. And I think that uh, Arsenal fans would be pleased to see Aubameyang looking sharp. There was, a, there was some contention about whether he should have been given that new contract. And you could argue it hasn't really worked out as they'd hoped, but he looked very sharp against Leeds. And I thought Arsenal started very positively. I think because of Leeds being such an open, expansive side, when you're going up against them, you know you're going to get chance, you know you're going to open them up. I mean, you've got you can criticise Arsenal and their personnel, but they have got a very quick attacking core, and uh, that's always going to cause problems against that Leeds side. I think as well when they were so comfortably ahead in that game that potentially took their floor off the gas. And again, that's you don't want to leave yourself open against a Leeds team as well. So that, yeah, it caused, it caused, I guess you could say fireworks. It was a great game. Yeah. I just, I couldn't get over. I, I think Saka in my mind really kind of stepped up in a massive fashion where he is, 
he is no longer the man next to the man, but becoming the man himself. And, uh, I really like that. Um, you know, the, the whole leads thing is just really vexing. Um, I, I will say that the high press that Arsenal did was stunning. And here's the highest praise I can give it. It's, it was Man City-esque, right? Because, you know, it, it made a, a fairly young goalkeeper, 20 years old, Meslier. He was a little out of his depth, right? In that particular Fisaka PK where it's like, all right, it's one, one thing for the system to close you down. But when you have Saka or Aubameyang coming at you full speed, it's just, it's a hard day in the goalkeeper office when that happens. Dre, what was your take on the game? I, I mean, going into it, I really didn't know what to expect from Arsenal. Uh, but no, I was pleased. I mean, I thought I thought they were very positive in their play. And like you said, I mean, seeing seeing Obama Yang um, looking as sharp as he did, he had some very well-taken goals. The first one in particular I thought was was brilliant coming in off the left. Um, and then, you know, uh, like David said, we know Leeds, and Leeds is a side that you can't really let up on because – they're they're going to continue to to try and play and press you and whatnot and they you know almost snuck back into it which I was a little concerned about when they got the second one I I definitely uh I was a little, I was a little bit worried there but no I, all in all I, I mean happy to see Arsenal I mean I wish it would have been four 0 but happy to see them put four goals past any team at this stage and 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 win the game I guess you could say comfortably in the end so yeah we we can talk about so many different things about Bielsa as a coach. But just very quickly, just one thing that I've always noticed in like games where Leeds have potentially been beaten heavily is that even in the 90th minute, let's say they're losing by four or five goals, he's still demanding like perfection from his players constantly. And I think that when we talk about it, you can't let up against Leeds because he has drilled it into them that they, they've never finished. I, you know, it's actually a pundit, and I wish I could remember who it was because I'd give him credit. But Leeds plays exactly the same way when the score is 0 0, they're up 4 0, or they're down by 4 0. And that's probably some of the highest praise you could give um, a team. Um, Harshell, you know, we know the San Francisco 49ers have put a second tranche of cash into Leeds. Do you think that, that Bielsa, is going to be able to go next level with uh, being able to bring on higher caliber players because not this last week, but the week before they had 11 players that were playing championships games on the pitch for, for last week's the game before Arsenal. What's, what's your, what's your way too early take on that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you said, it is way too early because I mean, remember we're still not sure if Bielsa will be around next season. I mean, all indications are that he will stick around for a further year, but you never know with Bielsa. I mean, something could set him off and he could leave. Very unlikely, most likely, that he will be then obviously operating on that premise. The thing with Bielsa and his methods is that they're so demanding physically and mentally that he's always he's always found it easier to work with either young, young players or maybe players who have a point to prove or, or who haven't sort of shown them uh, their sort of uh, their talent or their potential at the highest level which is i think a major reason why he was able to take this lead side which is consist i mean most of these guys are players who've either spent their lives uh, or not their lives their careers in the championship or the lower leagues or 
sort of discards of of uh Premier League clubs like Patrick Bamford being one of the biggest examples of that right and he's managed to take this team from like mid table in the championship to potentially mid to lower table in the Premier League which is an astonishing achievement i actually wonder i mean as to how much of an impact he will have i mean i wouldn't say an impact but it'll be it'll be interesting to see the kind of players leads to leads look to recruit in the summer because again with if you look at the players they bought in this summer, like look at afinia for example they bought him for 18 odd million which isn't a, a small sum of money but he's still a young player relatively unknown who's who's showing his worth rodrigo on the other hand they brought for 30 odd million from valencia who i mean he 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 starts for spain but again not really a star player right like he's not someone who you think of when you talk about players playing for spain for example and again he's also showing his value so i think they'll obviously i think the lead scouting network and the way they're working especially since bias has come in has been very good their recruitment and i expect that to go i mean uh, to to continue so but it it'll be they'll have to bring in the same profile of player where it's uh, there there's a hunger and a desire and maybe they're not uh, they've not really achieved everything they want to achieve and bielsa can help unlock that because i don't think someone who's at the top of his game like i mean i know this is like for example i mean i don't expect paul pogba to be able to work with bielsa in that in in this manner and it's obviously a very hypothetical example but the kind of players who are at the absolute top of the game or even if they're not at the top of the game but the kind of stars that you see at other clubs i don't think we also would be able to work with them so that recruitment will be very interesting in the summer dre are you aware of any direct flights from rdu to leeds uh, is that something that you you would entertain there i check every day chris i check every <laughs> single day <laughs> yeah it's it's going to be interesting i i don't think they're going to be able to get the top shelf players uh present company excluded of course um top shelf players to uh to leeds yet just because it's still uh, you know on the come if you will um on that so it'll be really fascinating to see what they end up doing what i think that leeds is missing as is liverpool right now is they're missing a center back or a six that can collect the ball from the goalkeeper and dribble up as necessary to break some of those presses uh and just have the confidence a parte if you will um that has the confidence on the ball that's not going to get stripped away and i don't know if leeds is going to be able to find that player i know that liverpool is going to be able to find that player when van dijk comes back right so that's to me as having seen a lot of high press it seems like in the last few weeks you know you you're you, they're going to have to think through that and bamford is not particularly adept at being able to take a long ball from a goalkeeper and do something with it um like somehow a salah or a, a mane seem to be able to even though they're much smaller and of course they're running onto the ball as opposed to bamford being more of a target striker so i am i am going to be really interested to kind of see how that all evolves well let's turn our attention to really that I think I can locomotive uh in in London uh West Ham. Um they had a a nice little victory. They're still in fourth place. David, can we believe in this dream a little bit longer or are we going to have to wake up? Sorry David, uh, just we'll... to jump in there. Sorry sorry yeah. to interrupt but I had to interrupt because it's it's been so I wouldn't say amusing. It's actually been quite nice to see over the last few weeks whenever we uh, we've had David and we mentioned West Ham. It's it's his face lights up and he smiles you know 
versus last year, which he was very grumpy about. Exactly. It's such a contrast to last year. And it's another surprise for me because I, mean, I, I support a club which has had David Moyes as a manager. So I never thought anybody could be smiling about a team managed by David Moyes. Right. But he's changed that this season. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, think, we'll, <laughs> I don't think we'll continue. But you know what? It was pretty great to look at the table for that sort of 30 seconds before the Chelsea game kicked off. And to go, all right, we're in fourth place. That was pretty great. After 24 games, crazy. It's been, it's been bizarre. I don't think anyone could have seen it coming. Um, obviously, we've got a difficult run of games. And we have got the advantage of, essentially, from now until the end of the season, I think, bar the penultimate week, we've got a game, one game a week. And so, as the European season really starts to um, get into the business end of things, you've got those, those teams that are around us playing two, even three times a week or whatever. So... We've got that advantage, but yeah, difficult run of games. I think we've, we've, we've got Spurs next, I believe. So that's not a bad time to be playing Spurs, but then I know we've got City after that. And uh, we've got United, Arsenal, Chelsea still to play. So there's there's some big games to play. And I know we've got Newcastle towards the tail end of the season. You never really want to be playing a team that's down the bottom, that are sort of fighting for their lives. And they Right now, they're not, but they could be as well. So there's some difficult games to come. I'm just enjoying it. We don't have a striker, uh, and we still manage to score three. I think it, I had to tell some of my friends, hey, let's let's look at the, the team that we were playing against and, uh, and relax a little bit. But I'll tell you what, Jesse Lingard's been fantastic, and I think United will be pretty pleased because I know there isn't an option to buy. There's no fee, and I don't, I don't see West Ham probably being able to afford him or even if he wants to join us permanently. So I think he could... If, if a club came in from January, you could argue with his wages, you could have signed Lingard for maybe, what, 15 million, maybe? And he's probably worth two and a half times that just, just from the three games that he's played, which sounds... I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think some, some people, myself included, have gone, oh, oh, okay. Jesse, Jesse Lingard is, is a good player. And... Potentially, if you a player who maybe doesn't stand out in the United team, does stand out in a, in a West Ham team. So he's been he's been very very good, and I think if he continues with that form, and United aren't interested in him, it's going to cost you a fair bit to to get him. Even though I think he's has he only got twelve months left in his contract come the summer, Harshal. I think so. Although I mean, I could be wrong. It's either one year or two years. It's either twelve months or twenty-four months. Either yeah. way, you could you could get 30, 30 million for him at least in the summer, I'd imagine. Trey, how if, does that how does that happen? How does a player that you know, quite honestly, I almost forgot that Lingard was on Man United, right? We've not seen him at all. Yeah. How does he kind of literally drop in two or three days of training, or maybe it was longer, and then all of a sudden? He's he's, well, he's the man. Well, this this is no disrespect, no disrespect to Jesse Lingard, but he's obviously playing for himself right now, and that's fine. I don't care if he's playing as well as he has been. He can play for himself. That's fine. He he's at West Ham because he wants to get into the, the Euros, and he knows if he says United he won't get the game time to do that. So I respect that. I mean, you saw him. He, he tried to take the penalty off of Declan Rice. He wanted another goal. He's very much. He's coming. He's super driven. He just wants to play as much football and play as well as possible because he wants to get to the Euros. I think that's been pretty well documented. So 
I think it's a pretty rare case. And I think that if clubs come in from in the summer, and I think I don't want to be unfair to Jesse Lingard, but I do think that some of the criticism that he's had before is that potentially his attention has maybe been elsewhere or maybe not been as focused and his performances have slipped. Uh, Harsha, would you agree or am I being unfair? Then? I think some of the criticism might have been a little unfair in the sense that, I mean, you go off social, like his activity on social media and all of that. And I think that's a little unfair because to suggest that someone's not focused because they're putting up videos on Instagram or wherever. I don't think that happens in professional football nowadays. It's just how, I mean, people of this generation, I mean, our generation basically, are we we are uh, guy, uh, people who are on the internet a lot more than, than someone from uh, maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. So that aside, his performance levels, I mean, I think... It did, it did just seem odd in, though. Sorry, Harsha, it no, did just seem is, yeah, odd. That it's, it just seemed a little odd that he wanted to start a brand when I, at the time uh-huh. when he started that brand, I didn't think that he was the sort of level of player that warranted a brand. I think that <laughs> if, if I don't know, like Mason Greenwood suddenly popped up with a brand smile, I'd be like, oh, that's a little premature. Or, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't use a young player because I know there's always the joke that people say Lingard's younger than he is, but all right, McTominay or whatever. It, you'd be kind of like, okay, yeah. you're a good player, but I think having a brand and trying to grow this off yeah. the pitch sort of thing, I think people may not resent it. So I think people are just surprised by it. Yeah, I mean, yeah that, that's a little fair. I, I get your point. But I mean, his performance levels had also dropped a little bit. I mean, he'd exploded onto the scene at United in the sense that he, he especially under Van Gaal and Mourinho, he was playing really well. He scored in the FA Cup. I mean, he scored the winner in the FA Cup final under Van Gaal. He scored like goals at Stamford Bridge. He's he's played really well for United at times. But I think also Bruno Fernandez's arrival made the made a huge difference because the guy essentially plays in his position and is there's no I, he he took United he's taken United to a different level. You know Fernandez. So Lingard found it difficult to get into the team and that I mean that can I guess affect motivation. It can affect your performance levels in training and on the pitch as well when you know that you're not going to get ahead of the guy who's in front of you no matter what you do. So you might, I mean, it could be a subconscious thing where you stop trying as hard. Whereas at West Ham, I think it could be a case of, you know what, if I show my worth in training, I am going to get picked and I can do some, you know, I can I can pull off performances on the pitch. And as you said, you know, he wants to go to the orders as well. So that could be the difference there. I mean, and and we're seeing that happen. If, if, if he continues as he's playing, and again, this is such a small sample size. So, I think we have to take everything that we're saying with a very large pinch of salt. But the uh, the thing with Lingard is, it, right now we haven't got a striker because Antonio's struggling with fitness, and that's an issue. And I think that we may have to play with that sort of fluid front three that we're kind of rotating all the time and look to hit teams in the counter. And and it might work, it might not. But I think if Lingard carries on playing the way he is, by the time I've got a really good chance of top six, top seven, and it would be phenomenal to get to get into Europe, particularly after last season. Dre, your your reflections. Um, uh, all I would say really is I just feel like the the alarm bells kind of went off a little bit for him, and um, obviously realizing the situation he was in, not playing where he was and where he wants to be. Um, this is like a fresh start for him going to West Ham, and I think he's just completely one hundred percent locked in. And like David said, he's playing for him. He's you know, he wants to make it to the Euros. He wants to, he just wants to play. I think, I think he's just been 
you know, kind of quote unquote locked up, you know, not being able to, to, to play and, and whatnot. I think that's really, I think that got to him. And I think, I mean, you give any footballer the opportunity to, to go out and play and do what he loves doing. Um, you'll probably see the best of him. And I mean, this is something, you know, we probably see from, I think Deli Ali would have a, a very similar experience if he went somewhere else. And then it also, uh, something you said just now, David, kind of raised the question in my head that, you know, he might not be a standout player at Man U, but for West Ham he is. And that immediately made me think of uh, uh, Jack Grealish. Not that, not saying they're the same level of talent or whatever, but just, you know, how would you guys see, I mean, obviously there's been so many talks about him making a move away from Villa and going to a bigger club. Uh, do you guys see it similarly that he would kind of fall into that sort of shadow or do you think that you know he'll he'll be a difference maker even at one of those bigger clubs I, I think I think that's a really good point uh, and you're right to sort of say okay you're not comparing the Garden Grealish I think that's that's important to just remind everyone listening or whatever yeah, sorry, that we're not saying that but I think it's a great point uh, just I think, not to I think, interrupt David uh, yeah another player again on the same lines you can obviously we, we can make the same point about his Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace almost a similar situation right like Talent level is probably much better than the rest of the squad and all, and carrying the squad on their back. How do you think even a Zahab sort of falls into this category as to how, mm. how would Zahab do at a big club? And he's obviously, I wouldn't say failed, but he, he didn't obviously do anything at, when he was at United. So I think these three well, players are a, a pretty interesting case to look at. I think, I think Grealish is a little bit different just because he is, he's been the best player in the league this year, um, in my opinion. So He's got a team that's built around him, and I think if he went to, if he went to right at the top level, he wouldn't have that. Um, but I still think there's no reason why he wouldn't he wouldn't still be a standout player. I just right now everything that Villa do is built around Grealish, so it sort of uh, magnifies his talent, I guess. Um, and then with Zaha, yeah, I guess you're right. Whenever I see Zaha play. And this is just a personal criticism. He, he acts like the world is against him. He's always like throwing his arms up in the air when he's fouled. And a lot of the time you, when he's fouled, I'm like, eh, that's not really a foul. And I don't know. I, he, there's something that, that's not clicking there for me with him being, uh, I, I don't imagine him sort of pulling for the team as such. I think when we talk about players playing for themselves, um, he strikes me a little bit. So I don't want to be too negative, but. That's just the, the the vibe I've been getting from him this season. I don't like p- players who are. He doesn't. He doesn't. It, it, let's say he gets dispossessed. He throws his arms up in the air and he walks back, and that that frustrates me as a neutral watching the game. Palace fans might completely disagree, and that's just a tiny little thing I've noticed. I know it's way off topic, but I like Grealish is just a, a scrappy guy. Who works for the team. Got a lot of love. For Grealish, um, I think Jesse Lingard's got potential to on a much smaller scale. Well, let me scale, tell you something: Grealish isn't afraid to 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 dive if if the wind is blowing the wrong way. I mean, he's, <laughs> uh, that's. But there, there have been times he's got a little hearts. Bruno. He's got a little Bruno Fernandez in, in in him as well. I mean, it's uh, I I don't know. I think maybe it's the nature of the position. It's just it, it drives me a little mad. So I, I think there are a lot of. Zaha would not be by himself in that game. There have, there have been times, though, where Zaha's been like very highly linked with a, a move to someone that hasn't happened. It didn't happen at United. And so, and potentially, I think one of the, like, you could, I had a, a friend who's an estate agent say that when they're trying to sell a house, if 
if they try and sell the house and it doesn't sell straight away and then it's still on the market like 60 days later, people are going, why is that house still on the market? So potentially that's what people are doing with Zaha. Um, yeah. It's interesting. That's a very interesting point. Because personally, I really like him. And I think, you know, at least when I, when I watch him, when I watch Palace, Palace without him is shocking. I, I mean, I, sure. yeah, I think that's a, a very agreeable point. And then, I mean, I don't know. I, I sense, and obviously this is a, this is a profession. You have to be professional day in and day out, but I sense frustration with him just for that, for that point that you just mentioned. I mean, he's been so heavily linked with, with moves away. And I think, I mean, even the most recent one, the Arsenal one that didn't go through and it was no fault of his. That's just, you know, issues with the club, um, both clubs, both Palace and Arsenal and, and kind of how it, how it planned out. So I can, I kind of, I, I guess I, I see frustration there a little bit in terms of not that I don't know how right say he doesn't want to be there, but you know, he, he wants his chance too. He wants, he wants his opportunity to kind of move on and, and, and experience bigger and better things. So I don't know that that's. There, there is, there is a sense there is a, you're, you agree with me. And I mean, you, I think you could probably right. He could just be frustrated with the whole situation, the players mm-hmm. he's playing, but you, you can sense the frustration on the pitch, right? It's not just me imagining that. No, no. I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's definitely noticeable at times. It's just more so what causes it. I think that for me, at least that, that means, that means a lot as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely, I definitely do see that he, at times. And I agree with you. He's a, he's a top, top player and, and Palace are very lucky to have him. So let's turn our attention to looking at kind of the big picture here. Uh, namely at the top of the table, you've got Man City, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, West Ham, pleasant surprise, Liverpool, Everton is in the traditional Everton Cup position of seventh, and then Tottenham <laughs> and Arsenal. So you look at this, and it's like, wow, this kind of looks like what the the uh, the league standings were two years ago or three years ago, right? And it's almost like we have a super league within a league. And I'm just wondering if we should. I just, I got to tell you, I'm getting a little tired, I think, of seeing the same high cast um, clubs continue to do well, largely because of money and, and other things. And they've certainly brought on some great coaching because they can afford to do great coaching and systems and so forth. But, you know, the, the ire of the Super League is continues to pop up again and again because basically the Champions League is kind of a super league except that FIFA runs that and there's some other people that want to run this so-called super league and the clubs want to have more control over it. So what's wrong with democratizing these super leagues and letting uh, the premier league be what it used to be back in the old days, which was it ever back in the old days where it was a fair, every team had a fair fight? Because if you look at the Premier League, what Man United has won 13 titles, 12 or 13, Man City four, Chelsea five. So all of a sudden in the last, out of the last 29 years or so, you've had 20, 22 of those years won by the same three teams. And then how many, how many titles did Liverpool win before? the Premier League era as such that they won a huge amount. Liverpool were the dominant force until Ferguson's United. So it's been, it, the, the Premier League, my, my issue with the Super League, uh, uh, there's a few things. But the first thing I'll say is that it doesn't solve anything 
it just moves the problem to like you get rid of those teams great that delegitimizes domestic competition and all it does is just creates new super teams in a, in a domestic sense but on a smaller scale so yeah you get rid of the the the, the big six or whatever big seven and then you're going to have Everton, Leicester, Southampton, West Ham even. Those teams are going to have more money. They do have more money than other teams. So they're going to be stronger. And eventually players are going to go, oh, I can't play Super League, but I do quite fancy winning a title. I'll go to one of those four or five teams and then I'll get into a Super League team after that. So I don't think it solves anything. I just think that it's, it's just capitalism, isn't it? Like the- Sheffield United's payroll is probably equivalent to one player's payroll at Man United or two, certainly. Right. So I just, I see there will never, ever be an opportunity where a Sheffield United will ever, ever win the Premier League. So it's not really a league. It's an exhibition. But, but, but where do you draw the line though, Chris? Where do you draw the line? Like Everton have got, Everton and West Ham are not in that top six, but they've both got big budgets compared to a Sheffield United or a Burnley or a West Brom or whatever. And the, the issue doesn't change. It's just though arguably and I, I was a West Ham fan. I'd love to win a Premier didn't, League. Didn't but, it go, David, because last year Sheffield United was flirting very much with some Europa spots. Yeah, but look where they are now. They, I, they might have one season, but well <laughs> look, I to me, you guys know I'd rather there be a salary cap a big salary cap so players can make as much money as, as the, the salary cap is a, is a nice idea, but only if the other big leagues are willing to do likewise, because otherwise what you're going to do is it's already happening. Other, yeah. David, it's happening. La Liga is instituted as a salary cap. Real Madrid. But then, but then, okay. So if the Liga do that and that you can't like Bundesliga, uh, Liga and, uh, Syria, Premier League are going to go, we're not going to do that and we're going to give your players much more money and they can come over to us. I, I, I It would have to come from UEFA, I think. I mean, you, as you said, Chris, I honestly wouldn't be surprised and obviously uh, that if sort of, because obviously UEFA runs the Champions League, uh, they came out along with FIFA and the other regional confederations a few weeks ago to say that players who play in any sort of Super League that does get formed won't play in the World Cup and and sort of the 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 other competitions administered by these guys. So I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. We saw financial fair play come in with over a decade ago at the behest of UEFA in in European football. I mean that's a completely different discussion. The pros and cons of FFP, the way it's been implemented, the rules and all of that. But they did put that into place, right? So. I wouldn't be surprised if UEFA says, you know what, here's the new sort of way it's going to be. All the European leagues are going to have salary caps. Obviously, the caps can't be the same. They're going to depend on whatever factors, revenue made by all the clubs, blah, 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 all of that. And that will be fought a lot more, obviously, by clubs. Than probably, and I mean, I think clubs fought FFP quite a bit as well. So, Can, can uh, you imagine that, the, the lawsuits, though? Shelf no, I, obviously, that's what I'm saying. There will be a yeah. lot of pushback, but I all right. all, let's let's put it that it can happen. I think that for a bit. I'm just talking about. To me, it seems like a league. If I step onto a pitch and another team steps onto the pitch, everybody should have a more or less fair opportunity to win the match. Because what's the point? We have referees that are supposed to be calling things fairly, right? 
But the thing is, is it's already the, the it's already weighted so much towards a Man City or Man United that it's there's just no way that these other clubs are going to catch up. Out, outside of the top six, if you ask any fan of a mid-table to bottom-end club, the best part of the season is the first three or four weeks where <laughs> one team makes a break for it and is suddenly in the top four. And you have that moment of belief. You start every season believing West Ham could get Champions League football this year, Chris. David, they, they won't, David, but we could I, I get Chelsea You wouldn't football. have had, I mean... Chris, you wouldn't have had a Leicester. Like Leicester wouldn't be a fairy okay. tale. There's so no wait a minute. It's a fairy You're tale. talking about right. there, there are two times in the last 29 years. You've got uh, you've got Leicester. Blackburn. That's right. Yeah, I mean, come on. You, those are some scraps. But Black, Blackburn had some money, to be fair. And Blackburn it's, had some it's money. All, yeah. It's all falsification of needs is what it is. So you, we, we're going to create this false hope. Sheffield United, West Ham, you could win the Premier League. You're saying that's, that's the highlight that's football. Football is false hope. Football is false hope. That is like, well, as a West Ham fan, that is what I've been just like born and raised on is false hope. You know what I worry about, David, is that you grew up in a caste system. So you're used to the kind of the, the caste being here and here. And what I'm just saying is, is that I would like there to be a democratization where on any given Sunday or any given year, one team can win the league. And I just, I don't feel that we have all these rules about fairness and we have VAR to make the game more fair, except we don't deal with the, the $800 million gorilla in the room, which is it ain't, it ain't ever going to be fair. And would you watch, would you watch Premier League football anymore though? There was a super league. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I'll tell you why I already have, there's a Super League team I favor, which is Liverpool. And then there's the rest of the league, which is Leeds. And I will tell you something. If I'm given the choice between Leeds and Liverpool, that's a hard decision for me to make because even Brighton is, is fun to watch. Even, right? even if Liverpool's playing Barcelona or, or you know, Bayern Munich on the, on, on the given day. And Leeds from are an, playing from an, from an entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, Dre, I'm a little older than you. If I'm going to spend, I, I don't have as any as many minutes in my life left as you do. <laughs> if I'm going to spend 95 minutes watching a game, it would better damn well be entertaining. And it's not going to be Tottenham for the most part, right? Unless I just want to see them beaten. So right. I want to be entertained and I want there to be beautiful football. And I want to see the Firmino assists. I don't want to see somebody hit a long ball. I mean, unless it's a beautiful long ball that Salab brings down one touch and then finishes on, on his second. That to me is what football is all about. Not this thuggishness of parking the bus. I've, I've got one more, one more point I'll make on it. And that is that I, I love the world cup. The world cup is like just everything that football was as like a kid. When, when, when I was like three, four, five, six, three's too young, four, five, six, seven, eight, before I really knew what was going on, I only really knew what the, like the World Cup was. And that was like, I think most people's first introduction into football, into soccer, whatever. I don't care about the Nations League one bit. Like England are playing Spain in the Nations League or whatever. I, I really don't care. Uh, I, whenever England have been playing in those games, I have not watched them. I just couldn't care less. And I think a lot of people feel the same. As much as like buying against PSG or whatever is a like, 
should be a great game. It's a great sounding fixture. It's a Super League. Well, I don't care what the Super League is. It's a comp- it'd be a brand new competition with no history. It means nothing. It's been made by a corporation to just sell things, to make money for the clubs that are already richer. I couldn't care. It's got no history. I like the FA Cup because it's the oldest cup competition in the world. Like, I will happily sit there and watch Marine play Tottenham because I think that's absolutely brilliant. But I'm not interested in these like in a new competition with no base behind it. So I think, and I think if you're honest with yourself, I think most of you don't care about the Nations League, and I don't think you would overly care about the Super League either. I I I think the the Nations League is exactly the blueprint for what the Super League is. Let's get oh, no. better. <laughs> let's get the better teams to play against each other. I do not care if England plays. Uh, a Montenegro. I do not care about that. But if they're going to play Holland and France, but if they're going to play Holland or France in Spain, five times in right, England, right, exactly. What's no, that? but is it's about it's, it's about it's about the novelty value, right? Like, yes, I'm, I'm a Man United fan. Like United have only I can't like what United have probably played Real Madrid four or five times in the last twenty years. Which is why United and Real Madrid are the two biggest clubs in the world. And those games have all been huge occasions because of how rare they are. I mean, if that starts happening every three months or four months, that novelty, I mean, it's going to turn into any other random run-of-the-mill fixture. A run-of-the-mill fixture, Man U, Man City, uh, Man City, Liverpool. Those are not run-of-the-mill fixtures for me. Those are Again, but that's because of the rarity value, right? Like United City will happen, what, two times a year? Three or four. Three, maybe if they get drawn in the Cups. In this Super League, they're only probably going to play each other two, two, you know, three or four times a year. It's either going to be two or four times a year unless they play in playoffs, right? Correct. But they're Why also would going to play the other big teams than right? it is in it's, the Premier League now. Because as a, but then you're going to play City, you're going to play Real, you're going to play Barcelona. You're going Every to play week's PSG a big fixture. Yeah. Every week's a big fixture. Right. Every week's a big But every, every week is a big fixture, which means that after the point, they're not all going to be big fixtures, right? That's the yeah. point. I, I disagree with that. I mean, if if David was around for year one of the FA Cup, he'd be like, oh, "Who cares about this? This 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 cup has no history to it. Why would I want? Why would I waste my time re- watching this? I mean, everything has got to start. There's a beginning, middle, and end to everything, and it just so happens that we're at the beginning of this. What I think is a nearly inevitable. Um, but most most other competitions started when the sport like started when it became uh, like a regulated game with a set of rules. So like that's that's why if if we invented a sport today, do you know what? I would want to win whatever competition we came up with. <laughs> yeah. Well, gentlemen, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna come to a, a solution uh, to this problem, and we will bring up what rules would we change the game. Uh, to change the game to make it more entertaining some other time, perhaps. Um, I, I am a professor of innovation, so I do have my biases, certainly. But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the pod today. We are sponsored by the Premier League Guide, Moneyball for Football, Opposition Analysis Plus Eye Candy. The current update is available at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Please subscribe to Thinking Fan FC on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. For now... Bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao ciao.